Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. On the list of American idols, which we are discussing or covering, one of the biggest, strongest idols, they're actually called idols, American idol, is celebrityhood. Celebrities. I think that this is probably the first generation or the first era in which celebrities exist. They've always been powerful people. There's always been leaders. There's always been uh, role models. But celebrities, this is a new invention. Times has produced celebrityhood. Now, celebrities are different from true leaders, genuine leaders, in a number of ways. The first, I think, most important thing is that celebrities have a love-hate relationship with their fans, with their followers. They love having their followers and their fans, and they hate them. Many of them despise their fans for being fools because they know what they are, and they don't understand people who idolize them. It doesn't make sense. One very popular celebrity who maybe deserves more credit than most because he's a real talent confessed that when he goes to a stadium to perform in front of 30,000 people, he doesn't understand the people sitting way out in the bleachers there. What do they come for? What are they looking at? What do they see? What are they doing? So he realizes the, the, the falseness of it all, how plastic it is and how meaningless it is. So a genuine leader is concerned and committed to his followers. A celebrity has a love-hate relationship with his followers. A true, genuine leader moves people to a better place, is not content or is not even interested in fame. He's interested in results. Celebrities, of course, are not interested in results. They're not there to lead because essentially they are not leaders. And yet, we sometimes hold them up as role models. In fact, we even encourage them to be role models, which they can't do. To be a role model you have to have a very high standard of personal values, personal virtue. Um, more than enough for yourself so that it rubs off on others as well. 
celebrities don't claim to have that kind of virtue. So let's take a look at what real celebrityhood should be, both from the viewpoint of the celebrity and the viewpoint of the fans. What should we be looking for in a leader? Of course, there are many levels. You have leaders, you have great leaders, you have the greatest leaders, and so on. So if we take a look at uh, a good model, one of the earliest, is Moshe. Moshe is still, to this day, our teacher. Moshe Rabbeinu. He is still our teacher. Because what he said and what he taught was not only relevant and, and vital to his generation, but is still relevant and still vital all these generations later. So the first thing we learn is that a true leader has an important message. He has something to say. Before we get to his personal character, for the quality of his character, simply the message. What is he teaching? What is he saying? What guidance is he offering? So here you have leaders who were good for a generation or two, and then their teachings became irrelevant. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that means that he was a short-term leader. A greater leader would have a message that would last longer. It would be more embracing of the changes that happen from generation to generation, and the message would remain relevant and vital. Something about the quality of a leader, which we overlook even in our genuine leaders. Nobody grows up, I mean, nobody is born being a leader of many. A person develops slowly, gradually. First, you are the leader, the master of your own fate of yourself. You get married, you start a family, now you are the leader of a group, a small intimate group. Then people notice that you have something to offer and they come and seek your advice and now you're responsible for a community. And from there you become responsible for a city, for a state, for a country, and then for the whole world. The sign of a true, genuine leader is that as he moves to the greater responsibility, he does not abandon the previous responsibility. He is able to add rather than eliminate what came before. So that a man who runs a country but has forgotten his responsibility to his family or even to himself is not the greatest leader. He obviously can't handle that role because it's costing him his family, which means he's not really equipped because leadership should not cause 
any loss. It shouldn't cause anyone to suffer. Leadership means you have something to, to give, you have something to offer for all of those in your world, in your life. So if you have to start eliminating things, you're just not cut out for that job. A celebrity certainly loses all control of his personal life, of his family life, in favor of whatever pleasures of the 15 minutes of fame. And so that's not a genuine leader. What should we be looking for? In other words, what benefits, what, what uh, results do we look for from a leader? It's one thing to follow someone who gives good advice, who seems to be wiser than your average bear. But following shouldn't be the end of the line. A good teacher, a good leader, empowers the people who follow. He doesn't allow them to become dependent. He doesn't allow them to give up responsibility or decision-making and carrying their own burdens. He helps them with their burdens. He doesn't replace them. So a true leader does not weaken his followers. In fact, a true leader implies not that he has followers, but that he is capable of producing little leaders. Because if you're a leader, you should be producing leaders. If you're a great follower, then you're a wonderful model for followers. I was talking to some, a woman who said that she had given up on having children because she went to the experts. She went to an infertility expert, and he told her that she would probably never have children. I said, why do you go to an infertility expert? Go to a fertility expert. <laughs> the, the infertility expert knows people who can't have children. Go to somebody who knows women who can so don't go to a person who can produce leaders, I'm sorry, followers, go to a person who can produce leaders. Another quality about true leadership. A true leader does not get exhausted. If you're cut out to do something and if you have a knack for it, the more you do it, the more energy it gives you. When you're doing something that goes against the grain, it goes against your nature, then you're exhausted even from a short time. So when you're doing something that is slightly out of your nature, you're exhausted. It wears you down because there's friction. If you're doing something you're born to do, if you are born to lead, then you don't get exhausted. And that's why we don't hesitate to consult a true leader. We don't hesitate to exhaust them because we know that it gives them energy rather than drains them of energy.
Somebody once asked the Rebbe how he can stand for all those hours giving out dollars. How does he not get tired? And the Rebbe said, when you're counting your treasures, you never get tired. So if you think it's a job, it will tire you. If you see it as a burden or a responsibility, then it will exhaust you. But if you see it as a treasure, because that's what you're born to do, then it gives you energy. It doesn't drain you of energy. One final thing. A true leader immediately enables you to turn around and have something to offer to others. If you're studying a subject under a certain teacher, and after five lessons, ten lessons, you go home and you see someone who has exactly the issue or the problem that you're studying, and, and you can't think of anything to say. You don't have any advice. You don't have any solution. After ten lessons, something's wrong. Of course, you're not the expert leader yet. You're not going to take full responsibility for, but to have nothing to offer? A true leader has a message for, for the people that is immediately useful. Because if it is relevant and vital, why, why can't you share it? So sometimes we surprise ourselves. You go to a class or you read a book and you just barely understood it. You're not sure you even understood it. And yet when someone asks you a question, the idea comes easily to your lips because it just makes sense. You didn't realize how easily you assimilated those ideas and now you have them to offer to others. I mean, the Rebbe put it in simple language. If you've learned an Aleph, teach Aleph. When you learn the Bays, you'll teach the Bays. But that's, I mean, an Aleph is an Aleph. There isn't much you can do with that. A Bays is a Bays. But the idea, the principle of it is, when you've learned something valid, something true, something real, then of course you can turn around and share it. If you can't, it means that what you were taught was so vague or distant or irrelevant that you can't, you, can't, you can't even put words to it, your own words to it. Maybe you compare it what you heard, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like you're really giving advice, you're just spouting something. Now, the dangers of celebrityhood both to the celebrity and their fans. Celebrityhood destroys life. It destroys people. It destroys a, a country's values. Because that which is false is not only disappointing, it's destructive. In a number of ways. If we follow celebrities, we are lulled into a feeling that we have some kind of a model, some kind of a uh, direction, and we fail to look for real teachers, for real models. 
So after a couple of years, a couple of generations, you have a country without leaders because celebrities have replaced them. Not by themselves, but by our own failure. Because we are enamored with celebrities, we don't bother seeking true leaders or creating true leaders. A, a leader can't, a true leader, a true role model, can't impose himself on people and wouldn't. So the only way a real leader develops is that people seek his advice or seek his teachings, and that makes him the teacher. He can't impose it. He's not a dictator. So if we don't go looking for the proper role model, there will be none. They won't exist. So we have pretty much a society in which there are no role models. Even when we elect a president, we don't know what we're looking for. We don't recognize the quality or the character that we vote for because we're looking so superficially. We're judging so superficially out of habit. If you idolize a celebrity, how are you going to become a maven to understand who a true leader is and what it takes to be a true leader? So even our voting, even our choice of political leaders is, uh, is, very, is very poor. By the way, the difference between a political leader and a celebrity is slowly disappearing. Celebrities are becoming political leaders, and political leaders are becoming celebrities. Now, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. A political leader wields too much power to, uh, to allow a celebrity to, uh, to get to that position. A political leader has power. A celebrity only has popularity. So on the one hand, by allowing celebrityhood to replace real leaders, we become impoverished in the, in the leadership field. We don't produce leaders. Those who should be leaders are unheard, unknown. The effect that it has on us, if we look up to people who may not even have the morals and the qualities that we do have, so we're looking up to people we should be looking down at, well, what does that do to our own value system? What does it do to our ideals, to our morals? It's a terrible thing. So we actually degrade ourselves by giving attention, energy, thought to celebrityhood. Uh, we know young people who become celebrities not only ruin their lives, but often cut their lives short. Suicides, overdose, because it's impossible to live that way. It is so false, the role or the identity is so false that it destroys the people. And yet we find ourselves 
looking up to them as they are destroying themselves. Well, this leads to a lot of depression. If the most popular, the most famous, and the most rich can't seem to find joy in life, <laughs> what chance do we, who are not part of Hollywood, what chance do we have? They have all the glamour, they have all the, the wealth, they have all the fun, they have all the opportunities, and they kill themselves. Well, life stinks. What will it take to have a good life? So by defining them as their lives, as the good life, and then watching them deteriorate in front of our eyes, that's really depressing. So if we are an unhappy society, it's probably because of celebrityhood. We build up the straw man. We say, this is our idea of the good life. And when that turns out to be a disaster, where do you go from there? Settle for a bad life. So we have to be very careful where we put our admiration, what it is and who it is we admire. What, what is the proper? If that's the idol, what is the truth? What is the true form of popularity? So we already mentioned, number one, the person who should be properly popular is a person who has an idea, a vision, a view of life that is not only good for them, but also good for others. It's an idea that, that offers direction and it lifts the spirit. It doesn't pamper, it doesn't pander, it lifts, it moves you, it forces you to move to higher ground. It forces you to be your better self rather than your lesser self. And that's just minimum. Ideally, a true leader causes you to be better than yourself, better than your best self, because his ideas are new to you. It's not that, yeah, I knew I should do that, but now you're encouraging me, so I'm going to do it. A true leader has ideas that the average person hasn't thought of yet, which means it's better than their better self, higher, greater, bigger. The people we admire should be people whose lives reflect their philosophy. When um, Aristotle wrote this brilliant essay on the evils of, hom of homosexuality and then turned out to, practice, to be practicing homosexuality, uh, and they asked him how this... How does this go? I mean, how, does, how, do you, how do you make peace with this? He said, Aristotle, the philosopher, 
is not Aristotle the man. So admire me for my philosophy. We don't do that. It's, it's, uh, there's something unwholesome about that. If you can't admire the man, then you can't admire his philosophy. Now, his philosophy may be correct, but then you admire it because it's correct, not because it's his. There are great musicians who were terrible people. There were great leaders who were terrible people. You benefit from whatever you can, but you do not admire such a person. You certainly don't hold these people up as role models for your children, no matter how brilliant, no matter how great their talent or their accomplishments. Because the bottom line, certainly for your children, if you're going to provide your children with a role model, the bottom line is you want to show them a model of what they can grow up to be. And if the model is a mixed message, then better not to have them at all. You can't really tell a child, I want you to be a philosopher like Aristotle, but I don't want you to be the kind of man he is. It doesn't work. So we want our role models to be consistent. We want their lives to reflect their message. No matter how great the message is, if it isn't even working for them, how is it going to work for anybody else? And finally, no one can be a role model, no one can be a teacher, no one can be a true leader who isn't himself or herself a follower. A person who is only a leader is dangerous. You have to know before you choose a teacher or, or a leader, you have to know who taught him and who is his leader. And if he has no authority over him, if no one can tell him what to do, if he doesn't attribute his wisdom to where it came from, if he's not humbled by it, then he is not a leader, he is a dictator, he is a user. And he will take advantage of his advantage. And that's not going to be good. So, the greatest leader is someone who has the greatest message, who lives his message, and who produces people who can lead, not just followers. And probably the reason he can do all of this is because he is a follower because he is humble enough to uh, attribute his teaching, his wisdom, his, his goodness to someone greater than himself. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this uh, before, but I was growing up in Crown Heights, and I really didn't know what a um, Rebbe meant or was, but I kept hearing all the kids in Crown Heights, they were always speaking of the Rebbe with great reverence. 
and being a little childish, we were before bar mitzvah, their, their compliments or their, what they attributed to the Rebbe was childish. He's the smartest man in the world. He's stronger than anybody. He can do anything. But it was intriguing. And although at that time, uh, at that age, we're all looking for heroes, for uh, people to admire and to worship. At that time, the Yankees were doing great. They were the Yankees. And Mickey Mantle was the Yankee. And I thought he was the greatest thing that ever, that ever lived. <laughs> but I went to 770 on a weekday afternoon. There was a very small crowd, and I was able to stand right next to the Rebbe. Nobody paid any attention to me. I was small. I was innocent-looking. So I'm standing there, and uh, I, I don't know what to expect. But I see the Rebbe. The Rebbe had a very large head with a very big hat, with a wide brim, very imposing figure. And I'm thinking, this is the man that everybody raves about. This is the man that children my age think is the greatest living human being. And he is davening. And then at this point in the davening where you bow, the Rebbe bowed. And as young as I was, it struck me as scary. Because when the Rebbe bowed, it wasn't just a, a, a reflex. He wasn't just, uh, he wasn't just uh, leaning forward. It was a bow. He was bowing. And this imposing-looking head of this greatest man alive humbled itself in, in, the, in the bow, in the davening. And what struck me was that there is something so much greater than this greatest man alive that it humbles him. He bows to it. And I came away believing in God. God became real. God humbles the greatest. I mean, it's actually written. He humbles the greatest. Not by humiliating them, which I, th I think most people uh, translate it that way. He doesn't humble people by humiliating them, by bringing them down. He humbles people because he is God. So I came away with two realizations, which I didn't realize at the time. <laughs> Only looking back at it did it start to make sense. I firstly realized that God is very real, and he has a powerful effect on great people. And secondly, that great people are the most humble people. The greater the person, the greater the humility. And humility doesn't mean 
denying one's talents, one's wisdom, one's strength, or one's role. That's not humility, that's cop-out. The humble person knows their strengths, knows their wisdom, and knows their role. And if their role is that of a leader, they don't hesitate. And they carry that mantle naturally, brilliantly. But at the same time, there is this intense humility, real, substantial humility, in that the greater he is, the more he realizes and appreciates where greatness comes from and does not attribute it to himself. Well, let's put it in different words. The greater a person is, the greater are his gifts. And therefore, the more he, the more he senses and the more he appreciates the, uh, the undeservedness. Gifts are undeserved. The greater the gift, the more you realize how undeserved it is. And that's how Moshe was humbled that the Torah says he was the most humble person on the earth. His humility came from his greatness. He was humbled when he looked at simple people who did their best to be good and to do the right thing. And he thought, if I didn't have the gifts I was given, if I never saw a burning bush, if God never spoke to me at the top of a mountain, if I wasn't born to the tzaddik of the generation, who was Amram, would I be good? Would I try as hard as these simple people, the ungifted, would I try as hard as they're trying? So the more he appreciated his gifts, the more humble he became. Given these gifts, should I not be a lot better than I am? That's what makes a great leader. A great leader ultimately is transparent, does not draw attention to himself. Celebrityhood means look at me and no one else. See only me, don't see anybody else. I have to stand out in a crowd Otherwise, you may notice other people. And that's not acceptable to a celebrity. A real leader is completely transparent. You look at a true leader and you see where he's coming from. You see what produced him. You see where his values come from. You see his creator. You look at a person and you're impressed with the person. Not a true leader. Great person, talented, powerful, not the person you should put your admiration to or your trust in. So ultimately, a true leader is a messenger from God, a gift to the people. A messenger from God should look like God. The messenger should not claim that the message is his own. Transparent. If you hear the teachings and it sounds like it's coming from 
Mount Sinai. Then you know you're listening to a real, a real leader. If it sounds like it's coming from the person himself, it's probably good advice, but it won't last very long. In conclusion, somebody once asked the Rebbe, how is it that you don't need to consult when you make decisions? You never consult with anybody, and you've never changed your mind. One of the most amazing things about the Rebbe is every issue he ever raised continues to be relevant. He never raised an issue that was only important for one generation, for one year, ten years. And if you know what's going on in Egypt today, it's exactly 30 years since the Camp David agreements, since we made peace with Egypt, and at the time that Eber was severely upset, deeply disturbed, very unhappy with the peace agreement, and he said, you're making peace with someone, you don't know what's going to happen in a year from now. Exactly a year later, Sadat was assassinated. And the Rebbe said, and you don't know what's going to happen 30 years from now. 30 years later, Egypt is overrun. For the Rebbe to be upset 30 years earlier by what might happen 30 years later, I mean, if you're brilliant and you can see where things are leading, you have your eyes in your head, so you see what is coming, which is the sign of a true chacham, of a, of a truly wise person, then you can see that 30 years from now, Egypt is going to be unstable. But to become upset by it 30 years in advance means that it is so vivid, it is so real to you, that it upsets you 30 years before it happens. But to the Rebbe, it, it was right there in front of his eyes. He didn't predict it, he saw it. He wasn't worried of what might happen. He knew what's going to happen. That kind of wisdom is rare. And what that means is that his message will never fade. His issues, the things he was worried about, the things he was upset about, will never lose relevance because they are the issues, the core issues. They will always be important. They will always be valid. They will always be relevant. And that's got to be coming from Mount Sinai. That doesn't come from an individual. It comes from being connected to something higher and greater than yourself. It comes from humility. And that's what the sages meant when they said, a truly wise man is greater than a prophet. A prophet only sees what is shown the truly wise man sees it all. Those are the kinds of people we should call our leaders. Those are the kinds of people we should trust. Those are the kinds of people we should admire. Celebrityhood is a terrible idol. <laughs>